Welcome back to the coffee shop. World Cup Coffee and Tea at Northwest 18th in Gleason in Portland and another OMN Coffee Shop Conversation. I'm Tom D'Antoni. Today, Jim Brunberg, musician, music venue owner, and now a podcaster with his twin seven-year-old daughters, Vern and Dana. You know him from his music, from being one of the founders of Mississippi Studios and Revolution Hall. He's a busy guy, and we're glad he took time to be here. His family podcast is called Rome Schooled, R-O-A-M. As he put it, it's a program about what happens when, when a father and his twin daughters put away their devices and go out in search of answers. We'll find out all about that, where they've been, about the evolution of Mississippi Studios, which he helped build with his bare hands, and why on earth a person would start a major new venue. Let's meet Jim Brunberg. How about it? Jim, welcome to the cupping room. Good morning. How are you? <laughs> I'm cupped. I'm ready to go. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm a, I was very late for this meeting. I apologize. That's okay. You know, you're you're open a, with how sorry I am. You're a musician. We expect things like that. Yeah, but now I'm a, I'm a <laughs> quasi-retired musician for the most part, and now I've got kids, and I usually wake up at, at whenever the hell they want me to wake up. So <laughs> Today, you're my kid. <laughs> So, I don't know where to start with you. What do you mean you're retired as a quasi-retired? Well, I don't tour anymore. Uh, and I'm a businessman. Yeah. They call me sometimes, although yeah. I'm not a very good businessman. My, the <laughs> people who I work with who <laughs> understand business. I, uh, I just don't want to go out on the road much anymore. Uh-huh. Although I'm going to be gone all of September. I, I don't know what it's going to be like to miss the kids for that long. Wow. Yeah. I'm mostly a dad now. So, me and my kids usually go on the road. Uh-huh. For, for we make this podcast called Rome Schooled. Yeah. Like roaming. Yeah. So the musician part of me is usually thinking, oh, what music could I write that would support this thought? <laughs> As opposed to <laughs> what, how can I express this thought in song? Yeah. You know, yeah, it's a totally yeah. different uh-huh. thing. So that's why I say quasi-retired. I see. Well, where are you going? Uh, we're, the old band is getting back together. Well, the old duo is getting back together. Which and, is? Which is box set. Uh-huh. And we're, um, it was a duo, but now it's called the Voxet Duo Trio because we've added Ben Landsberg ah. because he's, he uh-huh. plays everything and he's a great singer and he uh-huh. adds a third harmony. I'm doing this we, uh, East Coast tour that Jeff set up, my old partner, he set the whole thing up and it has like, you know, some great gigs like the cutting room and places and the, the uh, I can't remember, I don't have the itinerary, but yeah. some real venues and then some living rooms and then some, really? you know, weird off-the-wall gigs that he's set up because he's got all these connections from singing in the Grateful. He was, he, after box set, cut it, he uh-huh. got this dream gig doing the backing vocals for further. Wow. So he's been playing with all the Grateful Dead guys and he independently has a huge following, uh-huh. huge following of people that has sort of reignited interest in the old 90s has-been band that, <laughs> <laughs> that I was in <laughs> called Box Set. So Box Set is back on the road, which is fun, yeah. but it's not at, like a band that has... Um, you won't be hearing us on the next pop chart. <laughs> just as well. What's that? Just, just as, well. as well. Yeah, <laughs> just you know? as well. It's fine with me. Really? Then you it's have hard. to go out on the road again all the time. Just not, no, I don't want to go on the road all the time. No. There you go. Then accept your fate. My fate is happy. I am, I am completely <laughs> thrilled with how things ended up. Jeff went out there, worked it, got the name going, so now we can go do some gigs, make some money, and I can come back and be with my kids and, <laughs> but two weeks is as long as we, is a bit, I haven't been on the road for two weeks since like uh, I don't know, 2001, something like that. Uh-huh. I, 
Yeah. So that's a long one. So. But you, we'll see how it goes. you still consider your at, at heart. You still consider yourself a, a musician first, don't you? Oh yeah. But there's yeah. local musicians and there's there's yeah. touring musicians. Right. And then there's people who kind of can juggle both. But yeah. like uh, I was hanging out with with a guy last night, Alan, a uh, bass player. Um, I'm not awake yet. What's Alan, uh, <laughs> the best play, bass player in town? He plays with everybody. Uh, Sorry, Alan. I hope you don't listen to this podcast and think I'm a jerk. Oh well. Alan is, is he's great, but and he just got back from I think the Eels uh-huh. uh, tour, uh, and he was out for a long time, and that makes it harder to be a regular musician because some yeah. guys come in and gotten your gig right. in, in the local stuff. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. you kind of make a choice at some point. Yeah. Um, unless unless you're with an outfit locally that that has a really good system of subs. Yeah. You know, like yeah. that does a lot of. Uh, regular gigs. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> when I say regular, I raise my eyebrows because it's something right. that's so. When you're out there in a band, you're trying to, yeah, have a hit. Do right. that. You, you kind of look look down on those those regular guys, but the regular yeah. guys have are, they're are, they're where it's at. They are the happy ones, yeah. and their chops get better and better, yeah. and they're better yeah. musicians, better yeah. singers, yeah. Uh, in a lot of ways. I don't know why I'm going off on this. Guys like guys like guys like Damian Erskine. Huh. You know, one of the sickest musicians on the planet, all over the world. He's yeah. all all over the world, and 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 um, comes back and always has gigs. Just yeah. always. Yeah, yeah. Just, he's never he's never without a gig. Right. Um, you can't know. be you can't be Damian Erskine and and not have a gig. He's right. He, <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I guess I'm just finally, as I'm saying these things, I'm realizing what it means to be uh when i say semi-retired i guess i just mean i've i've stopped touring and, yeah and, and i don't want to yeah. i also don't want to have so many regular gigs that uh-huh. that there's people like louis longmire he, right. he's always saying oh jim i play too much i'm like yeah you do <laughs> <laughs> i want to have the option to not play uh-huh. you know billy kennedy that guy had 30 yeah. gigs a month and i yeah. think it, you yeah. know burned, do you pick up the guitar every day oh yeah you do definitely pick up the guitar every day. Yeah, there were periods. There were periods when I didn't like when we were building Mississippi Studios. I think my hands physically hurt. Oh, <laughs> so much just from yeah. whacking the hammer or sanding things that I didn't pick up the guitar. I was just too tired at night. But uh-huh. when I'm not in the middle of a big project, um, absolutely, mm-hmm. I'd be sad if I didn't. Well, good. Yeah, good. We don't want you to be sad. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> so I know uh, when we were talking first. A couple of weeks ago, uh, that you really wanted to talk about this podcast, not this one that you're on now. This one's pretty great, though. <laughs> we, but the one that you do with your do we, daughters. Yeah, but this is a, this is a music show more. No. Uh, yeah. Okay. Ah. Well, I'll talk about the podcast because I yeah. love the podcast. I mean, it's, we all uh, want to find out about you know Revolution Hall and Mississippi Studios and. I'll tell you anything stuff. you want about those places. I, I know, know all about them. <laughs> you just <laughs> handed me a card. That I just gave you uh, the it, card. It's a postcard that we send out to uh-huh. people who we meet on the road, uh-huh. and then so what we do is what you what you might find if you're in Phoenix, Arizona, or Minnesota, or, or South Dakota. You have these two little kids and a, an annoying older father guy. <laughs> and will, a dog. And sometimes a dog will pile out of yeah. a beat-up Winnebago and approach you with, with his hand, <laughs> with his iPhone held out, because we use an iPhone to, re- to record the podcast, <laughs> as opposed to expensive recording equipment. Yeah. <laughs> and start asking you questions about, you know, philosophical questions. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? Why are you here uh, farming this field? What's, the, what's that statue over there mean to the town? Is there, is there any significance to the 
to the headline in the newspaper over there. And we, we go out and we try to talk to people in person because I was trying to keep my kids who were six when we started this mm-hmm. off of the screen uh, and to spend less time with devices. And uh, ironically, it resulted in us going out and talking to people in person to make a podcast, which is something you play <laughs> on a device, but you don't have to stare at the podcast. Correct. And these kids, uh, kids at that age, they just become zombies when you put them in front of a television, and yeah. they don't have real experiences the way you and I did when we grew up right. talking to the neighbors or, yeah. or whatever, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, and that. It just seemed like a, something that fired him up whenever we would have a random conversation with somebody. Yeah. yeah. Did we really just talk to that guy about that? Like, yeah, we actually exchanged <laughs> words with a stranger, uh, and we had a meaningful conversation. How did this start, though? It started with, um, I, I used to produce Livewire, that, yeah. a show that was yeah. on PRI and, and uh, is an Oregon-based show, and uh, did that for 13 years. Mm-hmm. And when my kids were young, it was kind of handy to have that as my day job. Uh, but when they got to be four or five and the kids wanted to be more conversant, they got a little tired of dad sitting there with the laptop just editing all the time, working on Livewire. And they started to whine about it. Dad, are you working on Livewire again? Can we? And then Dana said, can we do a radio show so we get your really? attention? Really? It came yeah. from them? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Wow, that's I mean, great. They wanted to do whatever a show about. They were really into Frozen or something at the time. Yeah. I don't know. And uh, I just I knew that I was spending too much time spending uh, just staring at the screen, and at the same time trying to come up with creative ways to keep my kids from staring at the screen and become uh-huh. zombies. So I said, why don't we just uh, why don't we next time we go on a trip let's let's answer let's ask some questions and answer them. And the kids came up with a list of questions, ranging from you know hundreds of them, some of which were sort of explorable uh-huh. topics, and some of them weren't explorable topics. One day we were listening to. We were just driving around uh, listening to Neil Young and Crazy Horse. And uh-huh. uh, Dana says, well, why is the band called Crazy Horse? And I said, well, they're memorializing, I guess. And yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know the answer. And yeah. it turns out we never did find out the answer exactly. We even <laughs> talked to some original members of Crazy Horse, and they didn't know the answer. It wasn't, wow. until, it wasn't until actually just a few weeks ago that somebody told me that really? they don't want to tell people that the name of the band is Crazy Horse. Uh, they didn't generally want to tell people the story, but they, it was for Danny Witten who died, ah. who named the band that. Uh, oh. about, it was kind of a heroin reference, reportedly oh, from from some in, insiders yeah. that yeah. that kind of came out of the woodwork and and told me this. But that didn't matter. It wasn't germane to the show. What was germane to the show was that we went to the Crazy Horse National Monument in South Dakota and talked to those people about what it means to memorialize something mm-hmm. in stone, giant stone, whether it's a good thing, a bad thing. And then we went to Chicago, talked to a, a tombstone maker, and we went to a funeral in Philadelphia. And it just, you just roam. So that, that, was, that became my touring life. Wow. It still is. Huh. How often do you do these things? Um, well, they're going back to school. We, we did it most of the summer. Yeah. And then when they're in school, I have to get special permission. So we only go out maybe twice a semester and they uh-huh. miss a week of school uh-huh. we're gonna <clears throat> try to go to vietnam in january that's wow. our big goal because we uh is that their idea well it, yeah they want to go to vietnam uh it, uh-huh. it sprung forth from our just collective ramblings we we ended up doing a show about um the about uh, what was what was the topic that it was most of the show ended up being about the vietnam baby lift uh-huh. which happened in 1975 right. in which all these children were brought over in a sort of a propaganda effort um, and as we dug deeper into that and talked to people who were involved, it turns out that the baby lift wasn't the philanthropic, life-saving mission. Well, that, it had a side product, product yeah. of that, yeah. but Gerald Ford ha- had not intended it uh, really to be that. It was more to validate Kissinger's attempt to keep the war effort going right. and to keep people right. uh, talking about how awful the Viet Cong were, which they may or may not have been. 
anyway, we ended up meeting a lot of people who have been sort of rediscovering their families in Vietnam. Uh-huh. Um, and since I've never been over there, why the heck yeah. not go over there and bring yeah. the kids and, and maybe even wow. we, we've become close friends with a couple local baby lift babies who are here in Portland who are, you know, that age, they're all, you know, 40 to 43 years old, 40 to 43 years old now. Uh-huh. Uh, and who have never gone back or have never rediscovered their families. And now with just in the last five to ten years, there's genetic testing, there's the Internet, there's right. a lot of databases, right. and uh, a lot of people are coming out of the woodwork in Vietnam and sort of finding their families. So wow, that would be a great episode or a great, you know, uh-huh. more than one episode kind of thing. So after you get all these recorded, um, they, you all write them, you all write, write, write the thing together? Yeah, and it's not really written. It's uh, it ends up being a tightly edited show. There's a lot of editing that goes on. Well, yeah. I'll talk. We'll talk to people. Um, like we, we're doing an episode on hippies. Yeah, we went down to Camp Winter Rainbow and talked to Wavy Gravy. Got a tour of the facility. We talked to him about the the merry pranksters and his yeah. involvement there and how the hippie ethic came to be. We must have talked to him for two hours. So that'll become little snippets as we sort of reflect on that and uh-huh. meet other people. So we meet other hippies. Louis Longmire, for example, yeah, <laughs> yeah. interviewed for this. What what's the meaning of, of this? Why is the term thrown around loosely as a, an aesthetic term, uh, and what's it really mean? And then, so we'll get onto a, a topic. And when you listen to the show, it's it's sort of a, a, a montage in a in, in an ordered sense of these things. So yeah. then I sit with the girls and we edit together. But I will have already cold my favorite parts of the interview yeah, down yeah. And, if, and either they, they, all, they also talk, they interrupt during the interviews and stuff, mm-hmm. they've become better interviewers than me really? uh, because they're very patient and they have the questions ready because they're, they're, oh. they're nervous, they're prepared and huh. I'm just sort of trying to have a regular conversation with people and sometimes yeah. the kids will, they'll be the ones that actually make it into more of an interview and so we sit together and we edit down the best of these things uh-huh. and then we comment on it and have a discussion about it and if we get to a question that we don't, you know, we don't just talk out our butts about stuff. We, yeah. we never sort of speculate. But if we come up with a question or a theory, then we'll say, well, who would know about that? And then we sort of finish the episode off by talking to somebody local who maybe is an expert uh-huh. uh, in the field. <laughs> so You could have talked to me about being a hippie. I still will talk to you about being. I was happy. the publisher of the underground paper in Baltimore. You're on. You're on. <laughs> awesome. You can talk East Coast scene. What year was that? 69, 70, 71. Okay, so when we set up our... Everything in Baltimore came later. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's funny, like, the, the hippie thing was... Nobody really embraced the hippie ethic until about then. Yeah. I mean, in terms of... Uh, yeah. well, and there were appeal. city hippies and there were, they were, they were country hippies. They were total diff, totally different. East Coast hippies, yeah. West Coast hippies. East Coast hippies were Political hippies, yeah. lifestyle hippies. We were yippies. Yip, yippies, yep. yeah. The more of the East yeah. Coast, yeah. Uh, Allen Ginsberg, Abby Hoffman, Abby Hoffman, yeah, yeah. awesome. Okay, so when we'll have to set this up. we're going to set up that interview right after okay. this. I, I try not to interview people unless the kids are there, yeah, because they always yeah. bring out and well, the, the, that'd be great. The key to the show is how little they know, how much they want to know, uh, and and how unafraid they are to ask questions. To this must be a fabulous experience for you. Oh, it's amazing. I love it. Jesus, this must be just, yeah. <laughs> it's great. I love it. It's the best. What more could a dad want? It's the best time I've ever had, yep. Yeah. And my, so it, when I look at that and then I look at a tour coming up with my, my beloved music-making adult yeah. brothers yeah. who know everything already, mm-hmm. it's just a whole different, a different experience. <laughs> 
we're all we will all sit in the van and be know-it-alls with each other what a great way for you to learn yeah oh yeah definitely and you realize how much you don't know and, and you just yeah. there's these gaps you 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 in the brickwork that represents the knowledge that we have mm -hmm. there's all kinds of holes but the wall holds up <laughs> the edifice yeah. is still there and yeah. you, but when you climb back down it and to bring somebody along with you to sort of discover uh, a topic you realize wow I, I have no clue at why that is and there's a lot of why questions uh -huh. and they're the kind of questions that adults don't we just don't allow ourselves to ask uh -huh. so uh -huh. harmony we're working on a harmony one why is it that uh -huh. uh, in our culture anyway uh, the one flat three five uh -huh. mm -hmm, dun, 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 is sadder than the one three five dun, 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 dun. why does that feel different yeah we're gonna go talk to musicians and uh -huh. uh, Choir directors. Do they play? Cultural. Your daughters play? I mean, you know, they're seven. So they, they, they plink away. They've had yeah. some lessons. They're not yeah. totally into it. At what, piano or guitar or what? Uh, piano. Yeah? Yeah. One of them picks up my guitar a lot and, yeah. you know, scratches it happily. <laughs> <laughs> I should get her a guitar. <laughs> would, you would you recommend the life of a musician for your, for your daughters? Hell no. <laughs> God, no. I kind of thought you might I'm say that. I'm afraid not. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. It's just not... Not now, anyway. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not as bad as it was five years ago, ten uh -huh. years ago. There's more gigs now yeah. because people are embracing the live experience and there's a better uh -huh. lifestyle. Uh -huh. um, and people Yet are, all I hear from musicians is clubs are closing, there's no place to play. It's true. Yeah, but there are more places to play. There's just, they're kind of shitty compared to the, yeah. <laughs> the heyday. Yeah. You know, and it, I think it, it, they've, it, it's been in decline not since not just since the internet started keeping people inside their houses, and, yeah. and not just since it, everything else came along that's just a, makes it difficult to, to operate a music venue. Yeah. Uh, from fire rules to yeah. ADA, to, it's really hard to build a new venue. So nobody's replacing the old clubs that naturally yeah. shut down after you know 20 years because the owner is right. tired of it and wants to do something else. Yeah. It's just really hard to build assembly spaces. Know, because of uh, you know, fire, like I said, ADA. Um, and then once you have built those assembly spaces, it's easiest to just have, uh, it's, it's not easy to, took tour to book touring bands because of yeah. all the logistics and the, right. the money that it costs to be on the road now is more than it was. Yeah. On the positive side though, it's easier for touring bands to find and retain their fans they don't uh -huh. have to send out postcards every month. Right. They don't have to, I mean, I remember in the 80s, my old band used to send out postcards there, and there were bands that we knew. We didn't do sure. this, but there were bands that had like telephone trees. Yeah, that's not, that doesn't yeah. work. No, <laughs> and no. if you didn't get an article in the paper in the '80s, if it wasn't listed, nobody would come. Right. But now, if the paper doesn't give you publicity, no. you can get it out on yeah. the, on the internet, which is great. And yeah. people have refined yeah. that. All the bandsintown.com right. and right. Bandcamp, SoundCloud, Facebook, all that. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Well, you know, it's. it's uh, um, I think it's amazing that you that you have uh, succeeded in keeping your your venues alive in the face of uh, you know, like there are lots of bad business people. I mean, the Rose Room lasted six <laughs> weeks. Yeah, you know. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's probably an all-time record. <laughs> I think it might be. Uh, you know, they they they, they guaranteed they guaranteed people like me, uh, you know, an extended run doing DJing and playing and. Louis Payne was had his gig there, and Bobby Torres. And so what happened there? They just closed it up. Huh. Just took the furniture and left. Wow. <laughs> Six weeks. 
Yeah. That's not even giving it the old college try. Well, if you don't have any money, you know. <laughs> anyway, but places like that, and you know, places like Vita Boem, which did give it a good try. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're gone, yeah. or will be after in, in another week. Yeah. Um, so what's the secret? How do you? How did you do this? It's. I don't know if I know the secret. Um, I definitely attribute it to the to choosing good people and allowing them to run with it. I, I mean, Mississippi Studios. Well, that's, that's that's you could say that about pretty much anything. Yeah, but, yeah. but well, I guess maybe I will tell you if I had clung tightly to my ideals mm-hmm. uh, and what I love at yeah. Mississippi Studios, it yeah. would be out of business. Huh. Absolutely. I uh-huh. mean, I used to have Thursday night jazz jams in which we would try to right. cross pollinate the best players in town and just get yeah. them to, to yeah. play together and. I loved that, yeah. and there's a lot of jazz guys in town who probably still have a, you know, bit of a grudge against me canceling that. But it just yeah. didn't. It, I couldn't make the things that I love happen. Mm-hmm. But I saw other people who were excited about having things happen. So Mississippi's sold out every night, just about, and it's most of them are bands I've never heard of. So, and I'm not a particularly out of touch person. I'm getting uh-huh. up there in years, but. Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of bands, and I, I watch what's coming up, but I think that it's just varied that, that long tail syndrome that they talk about for the music business, where it's instead of a big chunk of labels, there are thousands of places where people go to find their music, yeah. very specific genres of music that may or may not interest me. Um, I think a club owner has to embrace that, and you can't over-curate. Um, and I used to say my, the secret to the original Mississippi Studios was that it was curated to the point where people could expect, and it's curated, curated by me, yeah. <laughs> which is funny to think of because my musical tastes in the big picture are narrow. I think every right. individual's are, so you yes. have to hire yeah. and, uh, or, or allow people to volunteer who are excited about it, even if you can't get what they're doing at all because people come out and those nights that you're, I'm, I'm looking at the stage and I'm seeing some, some kids up there that are pouring their heart into something that doesn't move me at all, yeah. and I'll walk out but then the next night, it, that will be something that I love that mm-hmm. may have been subsidized by the night before right. in the best, in the most beautiful of ways. Yeah. And I think that it, your venue has to be for everybody. It's got to be everybody's venue. And that's one thing. We've never been the trendy one. We've mm-hmm. never been the, mm-hmm. the most style, stylish or uh, hottest venue in town. It's just become sort of... Um, without watering down the, the quality of the experience, like, you know, great sound system carefully um, you know, when the, sh- the shows start on time yeah. and the, the, the staff are friendly it's, it's just you just got to be everybody's venue and I think to a lot of extent that's what everybody complains about at certain aspects aspects of McMinimins yeah. but McMinimins is appealing in some way to just about everybody yes yeah, you got the hippie art you got yeah. all kinds of music there's music everywhere Maybe the wine's not getting a write-up in Wine Magazine, but it's yeah, it's there for the yeah. wine fan. The yeah. whiskey's there for the whiskey yeah. fans. The beer's there. Yeah. For the beer and eventually the food comes. <laughs> eventually it comes, and, and your waiter is friendly. And that's just kind of, if you just keep there. And I, I'm not saying that you should aspire towards mediocrity, because there's certain things that McMenamins do which are absolutely incredible. Absolutely. Just the best yeah. in the country. And you, yeah. every Oregonian should be proud to take yeah. the, a, a visiting traveler to some yeah. McMenamin's venues because yeah. they're just yeah. amazing. I but wish everybody could meet Mike from the Crystal. Yep. You yep. know, what Absolutely. a great guy. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Mike and Brian are just the best, yeah. best yeah. Uh, local businessmen who provided us all these yeah. incredible places, but they don't try to be a boutique 
anything. Right. right. They just are yeah. great in some ways and in yeah. other ways it needs work, but they try to just right. do it all. And I yeah. think music venues yeah. have to do the same thing. And the only okay. way to do that is to So buy. you've got this thriving, successful club, mm-hmm. you know? Why did you decide to like go big? You mean with Revolution with Hall? With Revolution Hall. Revolution Hall is is not as big in terms of workload and everything as Mississippi. Really? So we, me and about a hundred other musicians in town yeah. built Mississippi with yeah. our bare hands. Yeah. We bled for that place. Yeah. yeah. And then when the building next door became available to to uh, to buy, we put together a ragtag team of of, in, of investors to buy it. Uh, one of whom was my dad. Like here, I am a fully grown man borrowing yeah. money from my dad. <laughs> That's great. Who who is not happy about loaning me money, <laughs> but he did it begrudgingly, and and we paid him off. We 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 paid him back, but we just inch by inch expanded that place mm-hmm. through sheer just like on our hands and knees, crawling around in the crawl yeah. spaces and and yeah. doing it. Yeah. So when this other thing came along, and then you turned it around. Yep, we turned it around because <laughs> it didn't fit the way we had. Yeah, it. No. we had to turn it around to get the people in. And you can tell when you're in Mississippi Studios that something weird happened. Uh, and also, that it was built. I mean, it's a it's the building was not there before we we built it. Yeah, and we from scratch. So it's got the non-parallel walls and all the things that I cared about. Yeah, that nobody really cares about, but they yeah. they think they don't care about it. But it right. sounds good because the par- yeah. you know you you have a living BBC studio. Yes, it's a, it's, it was originally a recording studio. Yeah. The uh, Revolution Hall came to us and yeah. was largely put in our lap, really, um, for the most part. And we didn't know what we were signing up for. Um, venerable properties, they do all this uh, restoration of old mm-hmm. buildings, and they do beautiful work. And they said, well, we get, here, here you go, kids. And they contacted us. They said, we get a, a big tax break if we maintain the building's historical state. And the historical state is that it has this beautiful auditorium. Yeah. Um, and so the, do you guys want to run this? Bam, wow. sure. But yeah. we ended up having to do a lot of changes that we didn't anticipate to the auditorium. Uh-huh. And who knew how much a new sound system would cost <laughs> these days. Even you didn't know? I had a rough idea um, because I had helped Mike over at the Crystal to put a new sound system in there. Yeah. But that's a leased system. And uh, I was you know, using somebody else's money. So yeah. <laughs> basically, Revolution Hall was, was sort of a, something we couldn't say no to. You know, neither Kev, Kevin's my business partner now, he, and he's the really the guy who who understands the the flow of the cash and capital and everything, and makes it mm-hmm. work on a business level. He is a genius, and he saved Mississippi Studios. So we got our heads together on Revolution Hall. We estimated how much work it would take to to renovate the auditorium, and we were dead wrong. We <laughs> <laughs> ended up costing about three times that. But oh, it's geez. done now. It's done. So now, yeah. it, like Mississippi Studios, it largely runs with very little um, micromanagement hmm. from no micromanagement from me mm-hmm. Kevin still has a, a pretty hearty hand in running things over there but mm-hmm. yeah I don't know if this this is this talk is is uh, is interesting to people but I mean this is how oh I think it is the, the whole business model of, of music venue is just to be as inclusive as possible in mm-hmm. my opinion that sounds cheesy but it's it's surely it's a purely business um, thing you just don't want to Try to be hip and make people uh, right. like me and you dinosaurs. You know, we're we're on yeah. the older side of the music fans. Yeah. 
you can't make us feel excluded, huh. you know, and you also can't make the 20-somethings feel like it's a, a place that they would be embarrassed to bring a date to or whatever. Right. So you, right. you really just have to kind of keep that even keel in the middle. And, the same, and that means your staff also is as diverse as you can make it with uh, old codgers in there, you know, mm-hmm. giving the occasional lesson to the young, cocky, 20-year-old door person who mm-hmm. might take an attitude and to, you just end up having a, be age diverse be as diverse as you can ethnically and uh, viewpoint wise uh, in, in Portland you know it's always a challenge so sure we, we sort of have like a, uh, a, b- a pretty big outreach where when we look for a position uh-huh. I mean usually we have a lot of people coming in and there's like a pile of resumes because Portland is always wanting to work yeah but we go out and look for people who are just different as different as we can get when we don't have a person that looks like this or acts like this on our staff uh-huh. we need a little bit of a, a little bit of a spark in this department uh-huh. Uh-huh. We'll go find it uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. wow so there, there's no is there a music philosophy in either either venue mm, no not anymore okay mm-hmm. no mississippi studio started mississippi started as a um <clears throat> You know, it, it, its philosophy changed as mine changed. It started as a sort of a songwriter and yeah. and jazz uh, American uh, Americana, uh, yeah. but not necessarily American music. But music played on real instruments mm-hmm. by people with some degree of, of aptitude on on their instruments and mm-hmm. singing and songwriting. But that's what I was into. Uh, and then I, when some people came who were doing completely, uh, you know, what they call laptop shows. Sure. You know, and I was kind of amazed at both the quality of the art and the uh, level of interest mm-hmm. and I'm not just saying like ticket sales level of interest but just that when people would come they would be really into it and I'd, I'd, I'd watch them watching the artist and I would watch the artist and, and learn that there, there are no boundaries mm-hmm. so yeah there's no so there's no general philosophy other than to just make sure that you know like people need to be not assholes you know we don't want to right yeah other than that like if somebody treats my staff badly they they're not coming back yeah uh, period and that's just because my staff is like i've said the staff is the most important thing yeah yeah and if an artist come through comes through and and it's going to be begrudgingly Mm -hmm. uh, staffed that's Uh not going to work that spread that'll spread to the patrons and the artist no there's no philosophy Hmm. um Getting back to Rome School, um, were, were were you raised to be a musician? I don't even, I don't I don't want to say were you raised to be a musician, <laughs> but were you encouraged? Yeah, yeah. My parents yeah. were really encouraging. Yeah, yeah. I, and they didn't. I think they were a little shocked at how far I took it when I, back in the nineties when I for uh when i gave up all the rest of what i was doing and and went out on the road went to europe and quit my day job uh it was shocking to them but then i i don't know i'm trying to think of when it was that my dad came around to seeing that it was a good thing but he was wrong because it's never a good thing (laughs) nobody nobody should be a musician Um, yeah but i'm kidding it's never a good thing but it's always a good thing Right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's it's. <laughs> I mean, to be a musician is fantastic. It's great. To be a professional musician is uh, hit or miss, and yeah. because it depends on why you want to do it. You certainly don't yeah. want to. Don't. I would say this to everybody: don't try to become a professional musician. Just try to become a musician, and then 
if you're lucky enough, and it's luck, so yeah. much of it is luck, if yeah. you're lucky enough and determined enough uh -huh. uh, to have it be your career, it could be great, yeah. <laughs> but it could really suck. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was incredibly lucky, but I know so many people who, uh, whose lives were ruined by it, yeah. that, and, and still, that are still banging their head against the wall, uh -huh. um, and they could be making much greater music if they weren't trying to be greater professional musicians. Huh. Constantly huh. trying to sell every idea that they have. Uh -huh. um, I'm just, I've always, there's so many ways to still be passionate about music, but mm -hmm. have a day job walking dogs or <laughs> working as a barista or a, a bartender. And, and that's another thing, going back to the, the venues. Mm -hmm. Every single one of our employees, with a few exceptions, is a musician because they like to be around it. So all of our bartenders are, we have one bartender who has a music publishing company, uh -huh. but she doesn't want to put all of her ducks in that, or <laughs> all of her eggs in right. that basket, yeah, yeah. mixing my metaphors. <laughs> Uh, because why would you? The stress of that, you yeah. stop. You would stop loving it. And when right. we uh, we have all of our bartenders are, are in one band or another. Um, but I'm just so glad we, we we keep it so that they can go off on a, on a tour and come back. And, and all of our managers, mm -hmm. for that matter, are are, uh, are professional musicians with a, mm -hmm. with either a capital P or a small p. So mm -hmm. I just if you do it, if your only goal is to be a professional musician and you're thinking about doing it. First of all, Portland's not the right town to do that in. Right. Sadly, there's yeah. just not enough industry here. Mm -hmm. um, but man, going to LA or Nashville is a, can be a real heartbreaking experience. Yeah. You know? yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I've seen it happen every which way. Yeah. 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 I yeah. think that's what you asked, though. Well, <laughs> I don't know. I forget what I asked. But, um, but no, you're right about that. Uh, you know, I, I got a, a, a big LA break early in my career, you know? They plucked me out of Maryland Public Television to go be a producer reporter in, in at the at the, PB, at, the end, at the PBS uh, station in Los Angeles, KCET. And and I failed <laughs> mightily. Everybody does. Everybody yeah. fails mightily. Not that I didn't do. Not that I did bad work, you know. But you know, uh, I didn't. When I got out there, of course we were. Everybody was using tape, uh -huh. although they still had film cameras on the street. This was well seventy seven. Um, some film cameras on the street. But I didn't know one tape format from another. Mm -hmm. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> you know, I made some nice pieces and learned the greatest lesson of my entire career. Which was? I did a, I did a documentary on uh, James Cleveland, the great gospel singer. Okay. Who lived in, LA, and it lived in L.A. And it was okay. I mean, I shot in his church on Sunday morning and, and went to his home and all that. And it was okay. The piece was okay. It wasn't great, but it was okay. But it could have been great. And my boss just looked at me and said, you can write your way out of anything, you know. <laughs> and I went, oh, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. It's a, a good response from the boss. There. Yeah, yeah. And she was absolutely right. Huh. You know? And I've, I've, I've taught that to all my writers. Everybody, I've taught, you know, when I, whether I've been in TV or radio or whatever I've been doing, I have passed that along. It's good advice. <laughs> that and the magic question. What's the magic question? If you ever get stuck, I tell them, if you ever get stuck, if you have a brain fart and you can't think of what to ask next, you can always ask, what's the challenge in that? <laughs> Listen to their answer and go, what's the challenge in that? You could apply to this about every time. Huh. It works every single time. And the funny thing is, I've said that to I've said, I've said that to people. It's a good question, though. Not, of course not it a, is. It's not a cheater question. No, no, it's a good question. But it's still, 
still, <laughs> it's the magic question when your brain doesn't work. Yep. yep. <laughs> well, it's it's interesting that you say fail because I don't think that, you know, f- failing is what is failing. <laughs> failing. I got fired. That's what failing is. But is that failing? I don't know. I'm not sure. I, I got fired once. I got, I got fired from a band that I <laughs> loved playing in. I'm not going to tell you who. <laughs> <laughs> I deserved it. I deserved it, and because I, I didn't know my own limitations, and not musically, oh, yeah. I was doing yeah. fine musically, and it felt great to uh-huh. be on stage with these people. Yeah. It's just that uh, I was doing too much, and um, my kids had just been born, and I, I was doing. I wasn't pouring myself into it as much as they wanted me to pour myself into it. Mm-hmm. So um, I, you know, as it, there were a lot of discussions, but it ended up with them wanting me to leave when I thought, "Hey, no, I can do this. I can do this," <laughs> and. We're all friends now and everything, but I was, I was fired. But I don't think I would consider it a failure. <laughs> I mean, well, you learn so much doing it, yeah, and no, nothing I, lasts forever. Okay, no. good. The, the paycheck stopped, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you had probably had to leave L.A. But <laughs> I wanted to leave L.A. Uh, the, but is that a failure? That's a triumph when you yeah, get to leave L.A. That's true. A great, that's a great triumph. I, I hated L.A. so much I wanted to move back to Baltimore. Imagine yeah, that. Yeah, that's, that's saying something. <laughs> But I remember um, the 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 person who gave me that taught me that great lesson about you can write your way out of anything. Mm-hmm. She left, and they brought in a guy, and he sat me down one day and said, "Listen, I, I kind of like what you do, but let me show you somebody from back east. Of course, I'm from Baltimore, right? Let me show you somebody from back east, and if you if you could do more like what he does, I think you'd really you'd go somewhere." And he showed me this piece of tape with Geraldo Rivera. Uh, <laughs> what was it about? Was it a documentary? Or was no, it was just some street reporting wow. from, from New York. And I went, I'm not him. That you're not that guy. I'm not him. You know? that's, where, that's where you start to have standards, I guess, of some yeah, kind. Some kind. Even but now, a, look at, oh, sorry, you, I right. just kicked a court. Now you get to do this thing that you love and you're passionate about. I've never <laughs> seen anybody in Portland as passionate you as you are about music and, and doing this. And it, it, that's happiness right there. I sound like a cheese ball, but well, it's true. To a certain degree. <laughs> None of the people I know who are still out there touring from back in my touring days. Yeah. There, are, there are bands that were my contemporaries yeah. that, that went on and we did pretty well. You know, uh-huh. I wouldn't say we, we failed, but I, then again, you can see I'm not a person who acknowledges failure. Right. <laughs> yeah, I understand. But because I don't think there is such a thing. Like, we yeah. never had a number one hit. And a band that used to open for us all the time went on, uh, and I will openly uh, make fun of them here, Train. They used to open uh-huh. for us, the band Train, uh-huh. uh, all the time. And, and they went on and had like, what, 10 number one hits or something like that. Uh-huh. But they failed because of lyrics like, the best soy latte that you ever had and me. <laughs> but they didn't fail in any way. Yeah. They get made fun of and have to go do this repetitive thing where they play night after night after night, shed yeah. after shed after shed, yeah. which is pretty great for that hour and a half when the people are there screaming and, and cheering your name. But then they get back on the bus, they drive through the night yeah. because that's how the routing works, and they do the same exact thing the next day. And if they're really smart about it, they'll make a good life for themselves within those parameters. But mm-hmm. the touring life is not any yeah. sort of romantic life and it's it's not a failure obviously it's just what's what is failure you you want to be a happy person and for me i wanted to have a family and 
uh, kids and and be have some choices on a day-to-day basis yeah. not to, if i had to get on a tour bus right now yeah just the smell of it the, the, the motion <laughs> that it's that you're in a metal tube for most of your life when yeah. you're touring yeah. it's not yeah. my life it's not the life I. but you know i i did i was talking to i was talking to, to some musicians about this sunday um I, I i interviewed albert king one time and albert king by the way who had hands like pillows it was unbelievable <laughs> Like pillow. they pillows, were yeah, huge or huge, soft? huge and soft. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Anyway, he would send the band along, and they, the band would would fly or, or go, you know. Take, but he had a bus, and he drove the bus himself because he wanted to. He loved it. He wouldn't. He would never give up that bus. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> that sounds great until you do the math. Well, but he loved it. He was Albert King, for Christ's sake, you know? I mean, yeah, but, but how do you do the routing? I mean, it's just, he's got to play. Obviously, he didn't participate in any of the load-in or load-out or sound check, no. which is great and good yeah. for him. That's great, right. and that's how, that's how it should be when, if you want it to be that way. But still, I know. He, how long did he do that for? You can't, for, for decades. You cannot, you cannot argue with Albert King. I'm sorry. I can't argue with him. And, or for that matter, uh, Taj Mahal did a thing where he, he had his own bus, and mostly so that he could do a barbecue when he wanted to. And if, if he liked the musician, if he liked the band he was touring with, not his musicians, but like his opening bands and yeah. things like that, yeah. he would cook them all dinner. And we, when we toured with him, he, he had a barbecue thing, and he was just a, a saint. But, oh, man, that was, for me, that's a lot of work. I don't want to drive a bus constantly. Uh-uh. No, I understand that. You know, unless you liked it. Exactly, you liked. If it. you loved it, you would. You couldn't wait to get back in the bus. Well, so this con- <laughs> let's let's put a subtitle on this conversation. Not Tom and Jim talk about failure. Tom and Jim talk about doing what you like to do. Yeah, yeah, really, really. <laughs> I like to hang out with my my daughters, and yeah. and then occasionally sing with with uh, Ben and Jeff, and have make a lot of harmonies. So what happens if off. what happens if one of them comes to you? 15 years from now, saying, oh Dad, I want to go on the road with my band. Are they? It depends. <laughs> it depends on, I guess, you, you go through a, a period where you don't need much and sleeping in a puppy pile as long as it's a safe puppy pile. Yeah. Makes you happy. And that's what we did in the yeah. early 90s. Uh-huh. We put ourselves in a lot of dangerous situations, which I would not wish upon my daughters. Yeah. But aside from that danger... Um, I would absolutely encourage her to do that. Yeah. Just don't do anything that's going to be irreversible. Uh-huh. Don't sell a part of your soul or, or allow people access to a, a part of you that is going to be um, misappropriated. Wh- what? Keep, keep your ideas. Own your stuff. Write some of your own stuff. Try to maintain control over the situation as much as you can. And then I would <laughs> worry every night and I would never sleep. Yeah. <laughs> What what of you do you see in them? Oh God, stubbornness. Uh, <laughs> it, it, you know they've changed me a lot. So yeah. I'm a lot more responsible, and I'm a lot more open-minded and open-hearted <laughs> and uh, reverent. I'm is that a word? I'm, rever- I'm uh-huh. reverential. Yeah. To uh, to different kinds of ideas because I see them kind of going through the cafeteria of life and and asking these questions about religions and yeah. uh, viewpoints and and I realize that I'm never given some things a fair shake so I see myself I see myself becoming a more open-minded person as I watch them experience things for the wow. first time which is the, I think the great joy of parenting 
yeah. is really just relearning everything from scratch and yeah. seeing what you maybe might have missed the first time. It's yeah. like seeing a yeah. great movie again, right? A movie of your life, yeah. but, but yeah. with a different cast yeah. <laughs> playing the characters, yeah. and reinterpreting the script. Yeah. Yeah. Um, huh. But you know, thank God they're they're really different from me. <laughs> <laughs> one of them is one of them. I can't believe is my daughter. She's so she's just so cool. Uh, <laughs> She never loses her cool. She's very strong and yet very calm and, and always thinks before she talks. And the other one is just like me. Oh. And just going off, <laughs> flying off the handle, climbing things she shouldn't climb. And their names are? Veronica and Dana. And which one is like you? Veronica. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> For now. I mean, who knows? Yeah, really. Well, okay. All of the pertinent information about where to find all these things will be right there on the page. Um, you got any? Is, have, have, are you working on anything? Any recordings? Yeah, yeah. Um, working with Ben Lamsverk. We just played our first gig last night. Uh, yeah. It was sort of a thrown together thing on the roof uh, uh, over at Revolution Hall because they gave me. I, I can get a gig at Revolution Hall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, you have anything you could you could send us? Uh, yeah, to let I'll, people hear. Yeah, I'll send music over. We just oh, re we've been recording in my basement and writing funny songs uh, and harmonizing a lot. It's like the Everly Brothers on acid. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll 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 put that at the end of this. Oh, great! How about cool. that? Yeah, All right. Hey, thanks that. a lot. Yeah, appreciate you coming. Real pleasure. All right. <laughs> great to see you. Yeah. Bye.
You got peanut brittle That you're never gonna see again You got your saltwater taffy And your cow tails too We had Zagnut, Rocky Road, Dabba a Big Hunk Sticking on the soles of our shoes Lydia Working at an arco pumping. 